So anyway, Sergeant Grace has been leading us through boot camp for the last six weeks. And he takes on different forms. Sometimes he looks like me. Sometimes he looks like the bishop. <laughs> but he always, always, always sounds like the Holy Spirit. So that's a good thing. And you know, the bishop had us set up for the last few weeks with body, soul, and spirit. So if you got a Bible a minute, I'd like you to turn to 2 Peter a minute, chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Linda, boom that out for me, will you? Uh, Grace and peace come to us how? In abundance. All right. Woo! I've already had church. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> this morning. And we know that grace is manifested how? Through Jesus. Ding, 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 ding. He is the person of grace. He is the manifestation of grace. And we, as we as the bishop was telling us here in this chair that represents our spirit, we are in full communion with him. And we know everything he knows in terms of the fullness of grace. The difficulty for us is moving it from the chair here, which is what's in our spirit, to our soul. And that's the challenge. And so what else does that verse say? Through the knowledge of God. How do we get knowledge of God without eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Through the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah, eating from the tree of life. Being in communion and relationship with Jesus, right? And so as we spend time meditating and communing with Jesus, and we spend time having the Holy Spirit explain Scripture to us, it moves from this chair, this realm of our spirit, to our knower. And as it moves from our knower, it changes our thoughts, it changes our attitudes, it changes our mindsets, and it impacts our body in a positive way. Now go to Philemon chapter. There's one chapter in Philemon. Go to verse 6. I'll read it. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. That's the King James. Other versions say that through the full knowledge of what we have. So there is a knowledge base in the spirit of everything we have that God wants to reveal to our consciousness in our soul. So, if God has a knowledge base that we are connected to and wants to reveal it, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to work to communicate so that we know that we know that we know. And that's what this boot camp has been about. And I just want to cover a couple of reminders. We're on this path to oneness with God. We have been declared one. And the foundation that we've talked about the last couple few weeks ago was that foundation is his agape love for us. The total, unconditional, complete love of God without 
demand on us of anything. And we experience by believing. And so we were looking at grace. We've looked at grace. We've looked at aspects of the finished, uh, well, actually, we've looked at aspects of the revelation of identity, which is part of the spirit, soul, body that Greg has done. And there's also the finished works. But just to remind you, grace in brief, Christ is the substance of our grace. Forth by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receiveth abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. You, in spirit, in soul, and body, reign in this life right now. That means the devil has no claim on you. But if you don't have a conscious awareness in your soul that the devil has no claim, you're going to take a look at everything that's bad and go, the devil's coming after me. The devil's beating me up. And he may be part of that. Because if you don't know that you know that you know that you're victorious, it's going to come and try to lie to you. It's going to kind of come and try to trick you. And it's in that lying and tricking that we get snagged. And it's not that he changes our body, but what he does is he changes our thoughts about our victory that then negatively impacts our body, which opens us up to sickness and disease. Do you realize that Jesus right now, sitting in the right hand of the Father, and you sitting with Jesus, have no sickness and disease? But yet, we experience it here. Jesus has no anxiety. We have none in heaven, but we experience here. And part of why we experience here is the revelation that we have in our spirit has not fully changed our soul. But we're working on it. Not because of we have to, but because he's pouring in revelation to us. So our job is to receive the revelation. That's a whole lot easier than trying to work for it and in, in going out and trying to figure out, yeah. do I do this, do I do that? Do I don't, 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 don't. We just get to receive. In Galatians 2.16, reminding you, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Whose faith is operative here? The faith of Jesus. My faith is in his faith. My faith is not in myself. My faith is not in what I do. My faith is not in what... God even calls me to do. My faith is in Christ who empowers me to do. And you know, Jesus knew when he was going to the cross that by his faith it was already finished because he and the Father had already worked it out. I like that. They had already worked it out. And he was so confident in what he was going to accomplish. He knew he was going to he knew he was going to rise from the grave. He knew he was going to ascend into heaven. And he knew that at the time of his moment of his death, when he said, it is finished, that we were all included in that. John 1, 17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Everything, everything that happens in the kingdom, everything that happens in translating what's in the spirit into our soul is through Jesus Christ. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So we've been talking, we even talked a few weeks ago about the burden of communication, where the burden of communication rests upon the person who wants to communicate something. So God takes on the responsibility to communicate and move it from our spirit to our soul. That's why we can be at peace and relax. We don't have to strive to work it out. We can let God do it, but we do play a role. The role of the listener in communication includes listening as a key to our development as individuals. So even though our God and our, the Holy Spirit and our spirit are in constant communication, we need to develop a listening ear in our soul. The more we set out to listen, the more we're going to hear. And listening is an active process by which we make sense of, assess, and respond to what we hear. So, like this week, I was reading in the mirror 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is the gifts chapter. And I hadn't really been pondering the gifts of late, but all of a sudden it jumped off the page at me. Because in the mirror translation, it talks about the purpose of the gifts is to reveal the goodness of God. And I went, whoa. Because the whole message of grace is about the goodness of God. It's the good news. And so the good news is something God wants to reveal. And so we can't discount the gifts of the Spirit because there are people who are not fully communicative from their spirit to the fullness in their soul. They're still trying to make that bridge and that connection in some things, and the gifts help reveal the goodness that closes the gap. So after this boot camp series, we're going to be looking at gifts. I mean, that was how powerful that revelation was to me this week. And the burden of communication, the person listening must not superimpose their personal beliefs or cultural context into the listening process. We talked about that in the first few weeks of boot camp. Jesus is not a Western God. He's not defined by our Western viewpoint. He's defined by himself. And his word, the revelation of the written word, is in the context of the Middle Eastern culture of his time. And so we can't superimpose our culture into that culture and expect to get a transference of truth. There'll be a deception or the distortion of truth in there. So those are some of the things we've been talking about. And if we understand what God is speaking, we will, we will have to accept that God is. And he's not speaking with a Western cultural mindset. We will have to be diligent in not superimposing our own mindset upon God. And, here's the, and, and what I mean by that is we tend to, in, in our soul, look at our experiences and when we have the negative experiences, we tend to try to backtrack to our spirit and say, see God, you're not who you say you are. Because if you really loved me, I wouldn't be sick. If you really loved me, I wouldn't have to struggle so much. But how many of you know trials are something Jesus told us we were gonna have? And you know why he told us we we're gonna have trials? Because we live in the world. And there are some people that just don't connect to the message. They're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they're acting out contrary to original intent and design. And when they do that, that causes a consequence. And sometimes we collide with that consequence. It doesn't mean God doesn't love us, because he says, 
I'm going to be there in the midst of that moment, and I'll walk you through it, but that's part of life. And so we shouldn't be blaming God. We shouldn't question God. We shouldn't call him, call him out just because things don't go our way. He sees the big picture. Right now, I see with one and a half eyes. I don't see the big picture. And then we trust him to speak truth to us. And, and if, we can get, if we can land on that and go, I know that I know that I know that between the revelation he's given to my spirit and my conscious awareness, he is going to bring that truth home to me. That's a good part of the battle. Because then I can just relax and go, God, you need to reveal the truth because you're the one with the burden of communication. I will listen. I will read your word. Because I know when I read your word, the truth sometimes jumps off the page at me. You all had aha moments? Okay. And then we need to actively listen. Foundations of grace. We've talked already about God is good. We've talked about God is agape love. We've talked about God is grace. And we're going to be moving into that God manifested grace to us in Christ. And grace is fulfilled in Christ, not by our doing. And then later we'll pick up on our role is to believe and receive. And that's not all going to happen today. I'm just kind of catching us up on our, our trip. So we've looked at God as good. Here's where we are today. I want to cover finished works. So I want you to turn to John chapter 19. That was my setup. I hope that was all right. John chapter 19. Let's go to verse 28. I'm going to come out of the King James Version because I want to do some Greek. I want to play Greek with you today. So, After this, Jesus, knowing, and you should underline knowing, because what do we start out with in Philemon today and, and Peter? Knowledge, understanding. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. You could chew on that verse for months. Jesus, what did you know? All things were fulfilled. All things were accomplished. Well, what are the all? That's what we're going to start getting to. How much peace must he had at that moment when he was there, his body suffering in a painful death, but he knew it was done? Wow. Wow. Now, now, now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vin vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. He let his spirit transfer back to the heavenly realm at that moment. Vinegar. What is vinegar? Bitter. But it also has medicinal value, too. But we'll, that's another day. So we're going to look at it as finished today. And I wanted to break those verses down. The word knowing is edo from the Greek. And it is to perceive with eyes, to perceive by any of the senses, to perceive, notice, discern, discover, to turn the eyes, the mind, the attention to anything, to pay attention, observe, to see about something. There's a lot of, to this definition because it's a powerful word. 
to ascertain what must be done about it, to inspect, examine, to look at, to behold, to experience any state or condition, to see, i.e. have an interview with, to visit. That part of the, that definition alone is huge because as we're dialoguing with the Holy Spirit about what's already in our spirit, to bring it into that consciousness of awareness of now, that that's all about dialoguing examining holy spirit show me and when he starts to speak to pay attention to you see if you want to live a victorious life you can't come to church once a week and expect to get what you need this should be the celebration of what you've gotten during the week and then launch you into what he wants to show you the next week it's not about this moment or two hour block of time it's about every day every day holy spirit what do i need to discover today what do i need to discern today and it's not about what's wrong with me but it's about what's good about jesus translating into me so that i have understanding and the word knowing also means to know to know of anything to know i get knowledge of understand perceive of any fact, the force and meaning of something which has definite meaning, to know how to be skilled in and to have regard for one to cherish and pay attention to. So we should, pay, we should be cherishing our relationship. We should be paying attention to it. Again, going back to that first Peter and that Philemon, the, that word knowledge or understanding, those words are, are about an active participation. And too often, People will come, will come to us as, as believers and go, I don't get it. Why is life so tough? How come things are just so bad? Doesn't God care? Yeah, he does. He does care. But what he cares the most about is raising you up into the fullness of the glory that he's given you through Jesus Christ. And that means active participation. How many of the people that come to you go, doesn't God care? You ask when's the last time you opened the Bible? What's that? When's the last time you've sat down and spent time listening to God? You see, this relationship is just constantly ongoing. Jesus, you can, you can invade my thoughts anytime you want to. And when he does, it's like E.F. Hutton. Jesus talks. <laughs> We listen, right? And the and the, and the word were, if you if you back up here, let me. All things were, now accomplished. To bring to a close, to finish, to end, to perform, to execute, to complete, fulfill. Is anything left undone after he said it is finished? No. And Paul tells us that the law ended when Jesus says, it is finished. So, the new moon celebrations, the festivals, the daily sacrifices of blood are finished. The 613 commands are finished. They are a reference to the character of God that we can learn from, but we are not mandated under them. Does that make sense? 
So, to perform, execute, complete, fulfill, so that the thing done corresponds to what has been said, the order and the command, with a special reference to the subject matter, to carry out the contents of a command, and with reference also to the form to do just as commanded, and generally involving the notion of time to perform the last act, which completes a process. It is finished. Done. But not only done in the past, but done forever, every day. It's an ongoing expression of God. So when he says it is finished, it's not a one-time event with no other significance. It's a daily event in our life. He only goes to the cross one time. But the, what he's released goes forever. And I just think that's pretty cool. And then the word now. Now accomplished. Already. Now. It exists. Today. And accomplished. That's back to the same teleo, which is that long set of definitions we went through. It is a completed mission. So if I say to you, what was his mission? Now you got to stop and think, don't you? Because if it is finished, we don't know what it means unless we take time to find out. Jesus said it is finished. He's saying that everything proclaimed about him in the Old Testament about his coming has been fulfilled. And he's saying that everything proclaimed about his mission in the Old Testament has been fulfilled. And he's saying that everything he proclaimed in the Gospels is completed. Everything. He's sitting down at the right hand of the Father. It's done. And he's saying, Holy Spirit, show them what that means. Reveal to them, give them the revelation of what my death, burial, and resurrection has meant to them and continues to mean to them. It's ongoing. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us. Here's an example. Jesus said in Isaiah 61, if you want to turn to your Bibles, it might be a little easier to read, but in Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good, good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to build up the brokenhearted, claim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Claim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to point unto, the, unto them that mount in Zion, that, excuse me, that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old waste, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities and the desolations of many generations. That was Isaiah's prophetic word about Jesus. And Jesus quoted that when he was walking the earth. Guess what? That is finished. That's part of his mission, and it is unfolding in every single person today. It unfolds faster for those who are paying attention to those who believe. But that is available to every single human being today because that's part of the good news. The meek shall be built up. The brokenhearted shall be healed. 
the captives, including those held physically captive, will be set free. The vengeance of God is done. It's been poured out. And those who are mourning will be comforted. All of that is active now. That's part of the it, and it is finished. And that's just one example. Every single promise of Jesus where we say is yes and amen are included in what is finished. Problem is, we don't believe. We believe some of it, but we don't believe all of it. And we go back to our prior teachings of perspective and perception, belief, experience, and reality. Every time we have an aha moment, every time we experience the goodness of God, we have to reevaluate it. And every time we experience something negative, we don't go and reevaluate and say, God, you must be punishing me. We go, all right, God, what is it I need to understand? Because I'm in a trial, Lord. What do I need to understand? The, the depths and roots of self-righteousness go deep. Because they start the minute we take a breath, if not before. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad is what we teach our kids. But that's Deuteronomy 28. And it is finished. It's over. Between us and God, it's done. But it's deep in me. So when something bad happens, God, what did I do wrong? And I start navel-gazing. And I'm not saying that I shouldn't on occasion. When the Holy Spirit says navel-gaze, I navel-gaze. But that shouldn't be my default. My default should be, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this trial? What do I need to learn so that I can continue to share the goodness of God with others? Wow, I'm kind of stoked right now. I'm preaching to myself, so. So what are the it's? The starting point to discover the it's is to start at the beginning. Duh! Turn to Genesis 1, guys. Go to 26 through 29. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in it is fruit. You shall have them for food. Wow. Identity, destiny, dominion and subduing, that's destiny. Total provision, I've given you everything you need to eat. Wow. And I blessed you on top of it. My blessing, I don't, you know, food to eat is not necessarily a, the manifestation of blessing, although he promises that he'll take care of us. The blessing is 
we'll have such great joy and our, we'll be so full of peace and we'll be in full connection and relationship and we won't be striving to figure out what we did or didn't do. That's the background from which Jesus moves forward into time. This is what was the plan. So in Genesis 1 reveals this, we have identity. We're created in the image and likeness of God. We have value. God cares and provides for us. Do you think he's going to provide or care for something he doesn't particularly have significant affection for? We have wholeness, no sickness, no disease, no stress, no fear, no anxiety. We have all of our needs met, which means security. One of the driving needs of humanity when we come out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is security. And we will do anything to feel secure. Because we don't like the sense that the ground is always shifting. Special blessing for the prophets who the ground's always shifting for. (laughs) We have an overwhelming sense of peace and unity with God. And we have God's blessing. Those are just some of the things that Genesis 1 reveals to us. And Genesis 3 reveals to us that things changed. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. I mean, that, that verse 8 alone makes you want to cry. They hid themselves from God. Wow. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. Compare that to all of these things in verse 1. And he goes on and say, goes on to say, I put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you you shall eat of of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall... And you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you will turn. Now compare that to that. See, we lost sight of God at that moment. Humanity lost sight of God. Enmity, strife, fear, pain, suffering toil, all things that were unknown. Why? Because they lost sight of God. Romans 1, I'm going to read out of the mirror, Romans 1, 23 through 28. Their losing sight of God made them lose sight of who they really were. Traditional theology says that at that moment, man became depraved and fell. Grace theology says man never lost the image and likeness, but man lost the sense of image and likeness. That is what's Man separated from God, not vice versa. In the calculation of the, uh, in their calculation of the image and likeness of God, became reduced to a corrupt and distorted pattern of themselves. 
Suddenly, man was more in common with the creepy crawlies, whom he's supposed to have dominion over, by the way, than with his original blueprint. It seemed like God abandoned mankind to be swept along by the lusts of their own hearts to abuse and defile themselves. Their most personal possessions, their own bodies, became worthless public property. Instead of embracing their maker as their true identity, they preferred the deception of a warped identity, religiously giving it their affection and devotion. So what is he saying here? He's saying we lost sight of God and we began to reduce this whole thing to a distorted pattern of ourselves. Self-righteousness. And religion, which is man's attempt to define God, flows out of that. We superimpose what we think God should be onto the true God and then we act accordingly to that superimposing and we have this whole lost sense of and disconnect between what our spirit knows and what our soul understands. It's a distortion of understanding. It's a distortion of truth. By being confused about their maker, they became confused about themselves. Women became snared in a passion for one another. Likewise, the men became inflamed with an unnatural attraction to men. Laboring with intense striving, pursuing the illusion of a distorted image, only to receive within themselves, which should be an inferior estimate of themselves. And since they no longer honored or acknowledged God in their thoughts, they failed to see anything wrong with what they were doing. They lost sight of God. They failed to see God. How many people in the world do you know today that fail to see God and they're, and they're going through these things? You see, rather than condemn them, we should have compassion for them. Rather than condemn those caught in the lusts of the flesh, we should have compassion and say, I can help you. Let me show you the true identity you have in Christ. And when we show them the true identity, then the Holy Spirit, when they go, ah, I understand, then the Holy Spirit now starts expanding their understanding and eventually those desires for the thing or the lust of the flesh go away. And the prophets help them. The healers help them. Not out of condemnation, but out of an expression of the goodness and love of God for them. Well, that absolutely answers the question, am I born new? Because no. You're not. It's learned. It's learned from the things of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the natural realm of life. The sense of value, security, and identity were lost and replaced with a sense of shame. Awareness of nakedness dealt with this by covering up. Shame. They hid from God. Fear. Enmity. Strife. Rejection. Lack. All of those things were what manifested. And, and Jesus undid that, but until there's a revelation in our aha of our soul of what Jesus transferred and transformed in our spirit, we're going to continue to walk in these things because the world teaches us to do that. It's not that it's a fallen world. It's just a world that doesn't know the truth. And we are called to be revel revelators of the truth. 
We are called to shout the good news out there. Life revolved around eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and all leading, all of this leading to self-effort and self-righteousness in an effort to alleviate the sense of loss. When you don't understand your identity, there is a sense of being out of place. Where do you think alcoholism comes from? Trying to medicate to, to take the pressure off this sense of loss the sense of disconnect. Oh my gosh, if people really, really, really connected, we wouldn't need government. We wouldn't need armies. We wouldn't need policemen. Why? Because we'd all be in unity and oneness with Christ. So Paul talked a lot about, and this isn't up here, but Paul talked a lot about he was willing to expend all of his energies to preach a message that broke that deception. He thought, he counted it a privilege to give everything of his energies for that, to destroy this lie. So the ifs include reconciliation. Colossians 1, 20 and 21 out of the mirror. He initiated the reconciliation of all things to himself. Through the blood of the cross, God restored the original harmony. Say, I'm harmonious. Doesn't matter if you can't carry a tune, you're in harmony with God. His reign of peace now extends to every visible thing on the earth, as well as those invisible things which are in the heavenly realm. Your indifferent mindset alienated you from God into a lifestyle of annoyances, hardships, and labors. Yet he has now fully reconciled and restored you to original design. How many of that lifestyle of annoyance, hardships, and labors? How many can, can relate to that? And how many of you, since you've been, begun to understand Jesus and his heart of grace, has sensed a shift? You may not fully understand it all, but sense more peace, sense more freedom. You see, as you connect to the message of grace, that strife and enmity is broken. And you can relax. Another aspect of the it's redemption of image and likeness. Colossians 1.15 out of the mirror. In him, the image and likeness of God is made visible in human life in order that everyone may recognize their true origin in him. He is the firstborn of every creation. And the footnote to that in the, in the mirror says, what darkness veiled from us, he unveiled. That's why he said, I'm the light. Darkness can't stand in front of his presence. In him, we clearly see the mirror reflection of our original life. The son of his love gives accurate evidence of his image in human form. God can never again be invisible. I like that last statement. He is not invisible. He is as, as ever present as any one of us in the natural are here today. Do I believe it? Colossians 2.2 2 out of the mirror. The mandate of my mission is for everyone's heart to be awakened to their true identity. 
intertwined in love's tapestry. This is Paul talking. The mandate of Paul's mission was to carry the mandate of Jesus' mission, which is to awaken every heart to their true identity. Intertwined in love's tapestry. This will launch you into a life of knowing the wealth of every conclusion and joint witness hidden in the mystery of God who fathered us and co-revealed us in his son. This will launch you. The revelation that you have been awakened by God to identity intertwined with God's love launches the revelation to move from your spirit into the conscious awareness of your soul. See, our Christian walk is not autopilot. It is intentional, conscious awareness. We slip into autopilot mode and we're going to wither away. Colossians 3.10 says, We stand fully identified in the new creation, revealed in knowledge according to the pattern of the exact image of our Creator. You've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He's the exact image of the, of the Creator, and He lived it as a man. And He told us we can do it as well. Colossians 2.9 and 10 out of the mirror it is in Christ that God finds an accurate and complete expression of himself in a human body. Jesus mirrors our completeness and endorses our true identity. He is, quote, I am, unquote, in us. Footnote, God packaged completeness in I am mirrored in you. Look in the mirror, who do you see? See Jesus. Delay is outdated. We are not dealing with I used to be or I'm striving to be. We are celebrating I am now. The days are over where our lives were dictated to under the rule of the law or performance and an inferior identity. The full measure of everything God has in mind for man indwells in him. Everything God has in mind for you indwells in Christ and is revealed to our spirit, to the Holy Spirit, who then reveals it to our consciousness. If we take the time to listen and to believe. We get too busy sometimes. And I'm going to stop with this one. We'll do this one, and then I'm going to stop for today. Erasure of the sin nature. Colossians 2, 11 through 14. You were in Christ when he died, which means that his death represents your true circumcision. Sin's authority in the human body was stripped off you in him dying your death. So, do you have a sinful nature? No. It was stripped off of you in him dying your death. Doesn't mean we won't do sinful acts, but we don't default to a sinful nature because you are a new creation. In the same parallel, your co-circumcision in his death, your co-burial and joint resurrection is now demonstrated in baptism and your co-inclusion in Christ is what God's faith knew when he powerfully raised him from the dead. You died with him, you were buried with him. You rose from the grave with him, all of which drove the stake through Adam's nature. 
You were once spiritually dead as confirmed in your constant failure, being bound to a lifestyle ruled by the distorted desires of the flesh. But now God has made you alive together. There is no sin nature anymore. Adam was dealt, Adam, that nature he unleashed was dealt a deadly blow once and for all. But we've been taught historically that we were worms. I mentioned this the other night at a a meeting. I don't think total depravity is an accurate reflection of the heart of God. I mean, for God to say you're totally depraved means there's no, there's nothing worthy to redeem. He never was separated from us. We are not totally depraved. We are not worms. All of that was destroyed. All of that thinking and rationale was destroyed. And Paul even tells us in other parts of Colossians, don't get trapped in traditions of men. And those are traditions of men. They've been perpetuated. They've been preached. And they have been taught. And people hear that and go, well, what hope do I have? I know what 19 years of age... I walked away from God because I said his standard is impossible to meet, so I might as well go and blow out my life big time. Because I just couldn't do it. But that's what I had been taught since age six in the church that in the Nazarene church. I had been taught your 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 total depravity, you're a worm, there's really no hope for you except Jesus, you know, but for Jesus, you know, instead of with Jesus, but for Jesus. And and all of that put a, such a burden on me that I couldn't do it. I think there might be one other aspect of this verse, or half part of these verses. Let me double check here. Yeah, with, so let me back up. But now God has made you alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. His body nailed to the cross, hung there as the document of mankind's guilt. In In dying our death, he deleted the handwritten record of Adam's fall. So when the devil shows up and tries to lie to you and say, see, you're just like Adam, you go, no. See, Jesus deleted the handwritten record. Every stain that sin left on our conscience was fully blotted out. And the message actually says, the slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. See, when the devil shows up, he can't wave an arrest warrant at you. The magistrate canceled it at the cross. This is a much fuller life than we have been taught in the past. This message of grace, we should walk out of church every Sunday lifted up. We should walk out into the streets singing the praises of God. Doesn't mean we're not gonna we're, we're gonna have, doesn't mean we aren't gonna have struggles because we will have struggles, especially as some of this old programming dies off. We've talked about before how some neuropsychologists have demonstrated, and Henry Wright talked about. You know, as people were coming out of fear, you know, it takes 30 days roughly to build a new neuronal pathway. 
And as that old neuronal pathway gets to the point of dying off, it wants to fire to try to get you to bite again. And if you bite again, it's like going back to go without collecting the freedom of the $200, you know? But it doesn't mean you've lost that opportunity, it just means it's a setback. And so we shouldn't beat ourselves up if we're under trials. We shouldn't beat ourselves up if it's a setback for the moment. We should take joy and hope in knowing that Christ has perfected it and that it will manifest. Amen? We're going to stop here today. I think that's a lot to chew on. So I hope that helps. I hope that brings a sense of freedom to you. There are many more aspects of what is fin- what it means because for some people it will have some different meaning as he brings a revelation to you personally. So, but Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you've given us the revelation of it is finished that is manifested in us through grace by the person of grace as revealed through the Holy Spirit. God, you are good all the time. And so today we receive your life, we receive your joy, and we receive the fullness of the mercy that you extended to us as we declare, yea, God. Amen.